0: Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How we doing? Good. Hey, can we thank the worship team as they head off stage? Um, aren't, we, aren't we so spoiled here at Harvest? I'm so thankful for Chris and Alec and Taylor and their leadership in our worship ministry and our volunteers who sacrifice so well um, for us. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles... Can you open them up to Malachi 3 this morning? We're going to be in Malachi 3. Taylor said in the video, um, for the Advent video that we did, that it's the last book of the Old Testament. So right before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Malachi. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles. that would love to help you get a copy of God's word into your hand. We're going to be bouncing all over the place, but we're going to kind of be rooted in Malachi 3. So open it up there, and um, the rest of the passages will be on the screen, so you don't need to worry about keeping up with me. We are in our second week of our Christmas series, which we have called Generous King, Generous People. And if you were with us last week, you remember we looked at the story of Abram and Lot and how because God had been so generous with Abram that when there was some bickering that was happening in the promised land between him and his nephew, even though it was all Abram's land and he had first right, he was like, Lot, you choose what you want to have. And we see that God's generosity transformed the heart of Abram and was a blessing so that Abram could be a blessing to others. And we saw at the same time that Lot chose to live selfishly, and it led him to Sodom and Gomorrah into a valley. Of destruction. And so we're getting to this idea that, listen, Christmas is all about us celebrating how generous God has been to us. And Christmas is us remembering the most generous and kind gift that was ever given to us when God Himself became flesh that we might be reconciled to God. And um, I want to give you a heads up before we get into God's Word this morning. This morning is going to feel a little bit different. This morning is going to feel like three quarters of it's going to feel like a normal message. And then the last quarter, we're going to have a little bit of a church family talk. We're going to talk about some year end stuff that's going on at our church. We're going to kind of give you an update on where we're at financially as a church and how we're doing. And it's going to be a little bit more of a, hey, let's talk about where things are as a family. And here's kind of where we're going. Here's the question that we're going to get after. It's this, it's, are we a generous people? Are we a generous people? And I think if I were to take a poll of the room and ask you, has God been generous with you? I think all of us, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, would raise our hands and say, yes, God's been more than generous. Like I would argue that the one thing that defines all of our stories, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, is that God has given us more than we could ever deserve, amen? That God moved when we didn't deserve it. He saved when we weren't worthy. And he loves, even though we can be wildly inconsistent. That God is a generous, and patient God. And if I ask the question, are we called to be a generous people? Are we called to be like Jesus and to mirror God's heart of generosity? We'd be like, yes, of course we are. That's why I wear my WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do, right? We're called to be like that. The question is, when it comes down to it, is this true of us? And this morning, we're going to specifically focus on the question of whether or not we are generous when it, comes with our, when it comes to our treasures or when it comes to our finances. And here's why. Because in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus makes it very, very clear that our heart follows our money. What Jesus is saying is like, listen, show me how you spend your money. Show me how you order your life when it comes to finances, and I'll show you what you love. And here's what I know to be true. Uh, Many of you, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this before, that we're called to honor the Lord with our treasures, our time, and our talent. Have you guys heard that before? Okay, well, here's what I know to be true after doing over 12 years of ministry. It's that the people that are most generous with their talent and with their time are also generous with their treasure. They're not three separate buckets that you choose which one you pull out of. They all come from the same heart, and we're either generous people and say, God, all you have is mine, or we're not If you're generous with your treasure, your heart's also going to follow. Jesus speaks to this directly. So here's the question. What does this look like for us? How do we order our lives in a way where we can be generous like God's been generous to us? And here's the good news. The Bible lays out for us very, very clearly how you and I can organize our lives to do this. There's a very simple biblical principle that I want to roll out to you right now that I think is going to be super helpful, and it's this. It's simply this. Give first. Save second, live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. I would argue that everything that the Bible has to say as far as how we are to steward our treasures and what God has given us can fall right into this one sentence. Give first, save second. Live on the rest. And so, I, what I want to do is, I want you guys to memorize this. So, the best way to memorize something or internalize something is to say it back to me. So, can you say it back to me right now? Give, give first, save, give second, live, on the rest. give first, save second, live on the rest. So, what I want to do is, I want to spend some time and show us how God's word points to this principle and teases it out. Here's the first thing we see we're called to give first because it honors the Lord. We're called to give back to the Lord first because it honors him. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay, here's what I love about this proverb is first of all, it's so clear. Honor the Lord with your wealth, give first. But then there's also a promise attached. God's saying, listen, I'm gonna provide for you. I'm gonna take care of you. You won't go in need if you honor me with what I've given you. So why does giving first honor the Lord? Well, if you remember last week, it's because it's an acknowledgement that everything we have is his to begin with. It's not ours, it's the Lord's. And again, if you have your Bibles open, look at Malachi 3, starting at verse six. This is what the Lord says. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So he starts by saying, listen, because I keep my promises, I'm not going to burn you all up with fire. Not a great way to start a conversation, right? God's frustrated. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we, will we return? Look at verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and in your contributions? You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. All right, God tells the people of Israel that by not giving back to him and by not giving first, they're actually robbing God. And remember, it goes back to this whole mindset is, am I an owner or am I a steward? Am I a caretaker? Because if I believe that everything I have is the Lord's and I'm called to take care of it and honor the Lord with it, if he asks for some back, if I'm unwilling to do that, I'm robbing from the owner. How do you view what God has given you? It's going to define whether or not you're a generous person. So the way this played out in the Old Testament, the nice thing about the Old Testament, it was very, very clear and specific of how giving first worked, and that was through the process of tithing. And what happens is in the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel, the first 10% of what they made would go to the temple, it would go back to God as an act of worship, and that's how they would honor the Lord with their money, by giving 10% of it back. Alright, but we've got this confusing question because the reality is is we're no longer under the Old Testament law, right? And aren't you glad about that? Like who here loves a good bacon cheeseburger, right? You should be really glad we're not under the Old Testament law because that wouldn't be allowed. And and, and so we're not under the dietary restrictions. And Jesus has come and he's fulfilled the law. So the question becomes for us is, is this still applicable, this idea of giving first to the Lord? And and is the tithe still a thing? Because we're never told in the New Testament to, to give a certain percentage number. So what does this look like? What does this mean for us? Well, the first thing is, is it's true. We're no longer under the Old Testament law. But here's the thing, the New Testament sets a different standard when it comes to our giving that I think in some ways is more difficult. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 6. He says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Okay, so what Paul's saying is, is listen, it's not about a percentage number, but it's about giving bountifully. And if I were to bring that into our terms, it's about giving generously, sacrificially, but then Paul also says it's an attitude thing that says cheerfully, that we don't do it out of obligation or that we don't do it with a bad attitude, but we do it acknowledging that everything is the Lord's. Look at how, again, Paul ends this. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Paul's reminding us it's all the Lord's, it's all his. We're called to honor him with what he's given us. Here's the next thing you need to understand is that tithing, and giving back to God first, it predates the Old Testament law. Did you know that? Right. Remember a few weeks ago, if you were here in our study of Hebrews, we did the story of Abram and Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is the clearest picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And what does Abram do when he meets Melchizedek? He gives 10% of everything he has as an act of worship. Jacob, in Genesis 28, promises to give God 10% of everything he has if God will watch over him and protect him. Think about the story of Cain and Abel all the way back to the first family. Why did Cain murder Abel? Because Abel's sacrifice was accepted before the Lord. Cain's wasn't. So all the way back to the first family and how God orchestrated for us to have a relationship with him, it was that the first of what we had would go back to God. It's how he's always designed it. Stephen Olford, a prominent biblical scholar, puts it this way. He says, "'The principle of tithing is timeless. "'It is for every man in every age "'and in every dispensation. "'It was neither instituted by the dispensation of the law "'nor terminated by the dispensation of grace. "'It was neither given by Moses "'nor abrogated by Jesus Christ.'" Tithing was both incorporated into the law of Moses and into the New Testament church. The principle of the Sabbath is similar to that of tithing. It is a universal principle that like Sabbath rest, the first things belong to God, the first day of the week and the first portion of my income. I remember when I was 21 years old, it was April and, um, The next month I was getting married. Mary and I got married on May 31st, and we'd already accepted a job to be a youth pastor in Florida. So we were getting ready to move across the country. And I had like this panic freak out moment where I'm like, man, this adulting thing is becoming very, very overwhelming very, very quickly. And I remember I sat my dad down and I said, dad, I really need your help. I need help like setting up a budget. I've got to think of things like insurance and mortgage payments and car stuff. Like, I've never thought about this stuff in this way. And I've got this beautiful girl who I want to, you know, marry me. And she's now depending on me. And and like, I I need to do this well. And I need to manage this well. And my dad, he um, wasn't working as a pastor back then. He was working in finance and doing real estate deals. And he's always been good with money. So I'm like, Dad, can we meet and can you help me order out a budget? I, I need help with this. And I remember we sat down at the table and my dad had a worksheet laid out and it had all of the things like taxes and um, insurance and money you put aside for just your car wearing down, like all of these things that I needed to help think through. But the first thing on that list was he took my salary and took 10% of it and said, this goes back to the Lord. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, Cal, you need to believe that 90% of you with God's blessing is gonna go way farther than 100% of you on your own. And he goes, as you're married, as you're starting your family, begin right now with honoring the Lord with what he's given you. And I want your life to be a testimony of him blessing your faithfulness. And I would say, you know, I'm just so thankful for that conversation. And this is something that ever since Mary and I were first married on a youth pastor's budget, we've committed to giving first to the Lord. And I would argue that one of the greatest blessings of technology, at least in my life and in my family's life over the last 10 years, is the ability to be able to give online. This has been a a game changer for our family. And I would argue that if you're serious about ordering your life in a way where giving becomes first, I would encourage you to give online. And here's why it's because it sets your budget, knowing that at every 24 or 24 times a year, every other week, coming out of your paycheck, it's going directly to the church, it's going directly to the Lord. And it helps you set your budget where giving becomes the first thing you do and it's not an afterthought. Um, I want to show you how this works just to make it very, very clear. This is how Mary and I do it. Throw up the next chart. Yeah, there it is. Um, the national average, I don't know if you know this or not, is right around $60,000 for household income in the United States. And what's really, really interesting, when you look at Ottawa County, you know we run right at national average. In fact, we're actually a little bit ahead of national average, depending on what study you use. But, but this is national average household income. So what you do, if you want to say, hey, I want to commit to tithe and honor the Lord in this way, you have $60,000. And some people say, hey, do I tithe on the gross of my income or the net of my income? Um, Listen, the Bible doesn't talk about that. Uh, There wasn't gross and net back then. Some people argue that, listen, people sacrifice what they had. So tithe on the net, tithe on what you bring home. And others would argue, do you want the gross of God's blessing or the net of God's blessing, right? Like that's for you guys to wrestle with and figure out. But say the income for your home is 60000 national average, 6000 of that would be a tithe. And when you divide that up into 24 pay periods, that means that $250 comes out every two weeks out of your paycheck, and this is how you begin to order your life. That is the first things belong to God, and we want to honor him this way. You can sign up for online giving on our website if that's something that interests you. But it's been a huge um, just game changer for, for our family. It's interesting, we were talking about generosity last week, and I was preaching at the Grand Haven campus, and I had a kid in his 20s come up and talk to me, and he's just kind of starting out in business, and he goes, Cal, I'm so convicted by generosity, and I want to be a generous person, but the thing is, is I just don't have a lot right now, and I want to be really generous, so what I'm thinking of doing is, is for a few years, I'm not going to give anything back, and I'm just going to build. I'm going to build my wealth, I'm going to build my income, and then that's going to give me the platform to be generous, And what I said is, listen, generosity, it's never a location, it's a mindset, it's a worldview, it's how you view the world. If God's called you to be faithful with a little right now, honor him with that little. And then when he gives you more, Lord willing, that's going to be a natural part of how you view your life and you're gonna be generous with that as well. Are you an owner or are you a caretaker? We give first because it honors the Lord. Here's the second thing, we save second because it elevates wisdom. We save second because it elevates wisdom. The book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom when it comes to our money. And one of the, the common things that you would see is, is there's this theme that people who are wise um, don't just spend, 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 but they take some and they save. And, and um, they save for two primary reasons. The first is, is when I save, it provides margin for lean seasons, When I save, it provides margin for lean seasons. Proverbs 21.20 says this. says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. See what he's saying? He's saying that, listen, that that wise people, that when they have, they they store some away, they, they keep some so that they have some left over in case of lean seasons, while a foolish man just spends, 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 devours, devours, devours. It burns a hole in his pocket, and they're always living on the edge. Listen, this is a principle that's shown all the way back in Genesis. Remember the story of Joseph? Remember, Joseph is a a prisoner in Egypt, and the Lord gives him the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And, And Pharaoh has a dream, and what the meaning is, is that Joseph says, listen, for the next 10 years, there's going to be an overabundance of crops, You're gonna be blessed, you're gonna get a ton of food, but following those 10 years is going to be 10 years of famine and you need to store some away and save some so that when the famine comes, your country is provided for. And Joseph unknowingly saves his own family by teaching Pharaoh the wisdom of saving while we have what we have to provide margin for lean seasons. Listen, we live in a broken world and things happen. Jobs get lost, industries go under, The water level in Spring Lake rises by like three feet in a year, and every day you get flood advisories, right? Like things happen. Wisdom would call us to save. Dave Ramsey, the creator of financial peace, um, one of the things he talks about in his class is that, listen, one of the first things we're called to do is set up an emergency fund. That if the car breaks down or if the... um, air conditioner goes out, or whatever might happen, that we've got some money saved away, stored away, so if an emergency happens, we're okay. And by the way, just so you know, we run Financial Peace every January. We're doing it again in 2020. And if this is something you're like, man, I want to order my finances in a way that honors the Lord, I'd encourage you to take the class. We've blessed hundreds of people through this class. It's led by one of our deacons named Jeff Toth. He's a great man. Um, And and get more information about that. We'd love to have you be a part of that. So it provides margin in lean seasons. Here's the second thing it does. It allows us to live generously with others. It allows us to live generously with others. Proverbs 13, says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. When we save, it affords us the opportunity to bless others with what God has given us. And maybe that's for your kids. Maybe it's helping them with their first car or helping them with school, but it's allowing you to be generous with them down the road. Or maybe it's a a brother and sister in Christ. Maybe you've got a couple in your small group who's going through a difficult season. And it's like, hey, let us take you out to dinner and we'll cover it and let us bless you and we want to encourage you. We want to show you the love of Christ. Maybe it's your family is able to adopt a family for Christmas or Thanksgiving who, who would otherwise not be able to afford to do the whole Christmas thing and you're able to bless them that way. Like, It'll, it's not just so we can have more and we can hoard. It gives us a platform to be a blessing to others like God's been a blessing to us. We give first because it honors the Lord. We save second because it elevates wisdom. And I love Proverbs eleven twenty five. It says this, it says, whoever brings a blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. Isn't that a cool promise? He's saying that when you live so that you're a blessing to others, you're the one that ends up ahead. You're the one that receives the blessing. And when you live in a way that you're like, I'm going to give of myself so that others can flourish, you yourself will flourish. God makes promises all over the place to us when we live generously. Here's the third thing we see is that we live on the rest because it teaches contentment. We live on the rest because it teaches contentment. After we give back to the Lord and after we save what we have left over, we learn to live on because it teaches us to be content with what God has given us. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Now, now remember, Paul's writing this from prison and he knows he's headed to his death. Look at the first thing he says here. He goes, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Like really, Paul, you're in prison right now. If anyone's in need, it's probably you. Look what he says. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hear what Paul's saying? He's saying, listen, the secret to joy, the secret to satisfaction, it's not just about having more and more and more, it's learning to be content and allow the Lord to strengthen you no matter what season of life you're in. He's like, I know what it's mean to have a lot and to have stature and to abound. And he's like, I've also been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been thrown in prison. And here's what I've learned. I've learned that the secret to joy is contentment. Man, that's such a countercultural message, isn't it? Right, especially in this season, we are sold so hard that the thing that's going to provide us peace and joy is that next thing. Right? That next car, that next house, that next robot whose head spins and makes an insane amount of noise that drives the parents crazy. Like Whatever that thing is, we're taught from a young age, I need this thing. That's what's going to bring me joy. Very simply put, to be spending more every month than what's coming in isn't wise and it's not sustainable. We need to be content with what we've been given. We need to learn to live within our means And by the way, this is something that we've sought to model as a church. I don't know if you know this or not, but the way that we set our budget here at Harvest is we take last year's giving, whatever that number was, and we only take 90% of it. And that becomes the next year's budget. So so we don't ever presume that we're going to get more and more that comes in. In fact, we plan to to say, hey, maybe a little bit less is going to come in this year. Let's learn to live within our means. And the Lord has blessed that. And what happens is is as we've grown and as more money comes in, it's allowed us to be generous outside of our church with projects like Harvest Lomaru in Kenya and Harvest North Muskegon and Harvest Fremont this year. We take very, very seriously, listen, we're not going to presume more and more and more. We're going to learn to live within our means This is how God's word calls us to order our lives so that we might be generous both with the Lord and with one another. And here's the fourth thing I need you to see and I need you to believe it's this. It's that God's blessing always outruns our generosity. That God's blessing always outruns our generosity. Look here, when we are generous with the Lord and with others, we are always the one that come out ahead every single time because God promises it. Look at Malachi 3, verse 10. God says this. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, look at this, put me to the test says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need, and I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts, then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. How cool is that? God's saying, listen, test me in this. Honor me with what I've given you. See that I won't provide and rain down blessings so that the other nations will look at you and be like, wow, God's done something with them. You know, this is the only area in the whole Bible where God calls us to test him. Over and over and over in scripture, the Bible says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But when it comes to money, he's like, bring it. Test me, see that I won't provide, see that I won't bless. When we choose to be a people who are generous, we always come out ahead. God promises to reward our generosity and to bless us. Did you know that the opposite is true, too? That when we aren't generous with the Lord, we are the only ones who lose? Haggai 1 2 says this Thus says the Lords of hosts, These people say the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet Is it a time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag of holes. Isn't that a crazy picture? He's like, listen, when you're not generous with me, when you rob me, when you don't honor me with what's yours, I'm going to take away the blessing of your labor, and you might keep more for yourself, but it's not going to go as far as you want it to, and you're not going to have the satisfaction and joy that if you had my blessing. Right? It's funny, when we think of giving, our first thought is, this, can I afford it? And I think we're asking the wrong question. Can we afford not to? Like any percentage of me with God's blessing is going to go farther than me on my own. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers wants. Listen, God doesn't need anything. He's fully sufficient. But what he's saying is, listen, I've been generous with you and you need to learn my heart of generosity. And when you get this, you're gonna come out ahead. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna provide. And listen, there's always sacrifice with generosity. And the blessing might not instantly always be financial, but maybe it's relational, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's learning how to walk by faith and follow the Lord in a real way because it doesn't get any more real than our money, amen? God says, I'm gonna bless you. You're going to come out ahead. And by the way, we've seen this truth that God's blessing outruns our generosity this year in our church. If you think about it, it was a year ago that we commissioned Eric to go plant Harvest Fremont And I want to let you know, that was a very, very generous thing we did, and it was generous in a couple facets. It was generous financially. We gave a lot of money out of what we had that we'd set aside for church planting that allowed Eric to get a really, really good head start. He was able to buy sound equipment, to buy chairs. He was able to bring Aaron Dollar on as a full-time worship guy. Like We set them up as well as we could financially to get a good head start. Um, It was also very generous and sacrificial relationally. I want you to hear this, like Eric and Jenny are some of my best friends in the entire world and it hurt like crazy not to see them every day. And then on top of that, they freaking stole Dan and Christy who are like family to me, right? And that was like another dagger in my heart. Like, listen, it was a sacrificial and generous thing but here's what I want you to know, what God's done up in that church and that blessing has so far outseated our generosity or outrun our generosity, I want you to check out this video. Amen, huh? Isn't that amazing? Um, Listen, God's blessing always outruns our generosity. And I just want to say for a moment that, listen, if you've been generous by giving to this church, you share in that blessing. Your generosity with the Lord has allowed us to be generous, generous with Fremont. And I tell you what, um, they're averaging, I don't know if you know this, between 550 and 600 people every weekend. They've already had to go to, yeah, they've already, isn't that amazing? They've already gone to two services, and they have had dozens and dozens of people come to make first time decisions for Christ. Marriages have been restored. They have to have like baptism services every month because so many people are like, I wanna do that. I wanna take that step. I wanna get baptized. Like, God's transforming a community there. And you know why? It's because God's faithful to his promises that his blessing always outruns our generosity. All right, so here's family talk time. You ready for it? Some of you are like, I've been waiting for this the whole time, finally get to it. Um, we need to answer the big question, are we a generous people? Are we a generous people? And what we've done this week is, is we've worked with Leadership Network and Leadership Network is a uh, massive organization um, non-for-profit organization, and they work with thousands of churches throughout the country, and they run a big survey. And uh, 20% of every church over 2,000 people are a part of the Leadership Network survey. They survey over 1,000 churches, and they kind of say, here's what's going on. Here's like the the financial data of what's going on in churches. So there's kind of a way to understand where we are compared to national average. And there's some statistics I want to show you. Uh, Here's the first, that the national average, when it comes to staffing, In churches that, and this is pretty much uh, across the board, whether you're a small church or a large church, but for a church our size, is that there's one full-time equivalent staff member for every 64 congregants. At Harvest, we have one staff member for every 111 congregants, which puts us at 58% of the national average. So here's why I mentioned that. Um, when you see uh, another pastor or someone that serves you in, in a ministry, thank them for how hard they work and, and what they do. We have a lot of competent people who work hard and who give generously of their time. And a lot of them, what these statistics show, are dur- doing the work of two people. And, and so I'm thankful for my team Um but we are very, very lean and we run a light staff. And by the way, we love it. Like when we see these statistics, we were like, oh no, what would we do with double the people? That sounds awful. Like we love having a lean staff. We, we love what the Lord's done with our team. We wouldn't change it for the world. Um, here's the second thing. Show up the, show the next slide. The average budget for a church between 2,000 and 3,000 in America is $6.8 million. Our budget this year is $3.7 million which means we run at 54% of the national average. And uh, one of the things that I'm most proud of as a leader of this church is just our commitment to steward what you've given us well. And we don't have any fat on the edges. We run a lean staff. We run a lean ministry, and God has blessed that. And I feel like we do more um, than than we could ever imagine with, with what God's given us, and I'm thankful for that. Then here's the third stat I want you to see, is that the national average giving per attendee, so when you take everyone in the church, break it down per person, national average giving per attendee across the country is about $2,181 per person. Our giving per attendee is $1,490 per person, and here's what that means, that we, when it comes to giving and being generous back to the Lord, we run at 68% of the national average. Okay, so here's the bottom line. Our church is financially healthy. We are fiercely um, committed to living within our means. We don't have any debt. We run in the black every year, and we're going to run in the black this year. Our church is financially healthy. We're not in need and one of the things that I, I, I want to say, too, is statistics can, can be confusing, and, and what it can minimize is that there are many people in this church who are sacrificially and general, generously giving over and beyond. And I could talk for an entire hour about people being generous with their finances at this church. I could talk about people who said, hey, Cal, here's a check. I want to support 20 scholarships for Camp Harvest this summer. I could talk about people and say, hey, um, I want to give a, a significant amount of money to help with benevolence issues for people in our church who are struggling, and I just want, I don't want to do it anonymously. I don't want people to know about it. I just want to be a blessing. There are many, many people here who give generously and sacrificially, but what's being shown to us here is statistically is that giving generosity with the Lord is an area that we are lacking in, and we need to grow when it comes to generosity, So the question is, is why is this the case? Well, the first thing I need you to know, it's not an income thing. Again, our income in Ottawa County runs right at national average when it comes to nationwide income. In fact, a little bit higher even. It's not an income thing. So we're like, all right, what could be some other factors? Well, one of them's our fault, and I need to ask your forgiveness for. We haven't talked about money nearly enough in the history of our church my dad and I looked up all of the sermons that we preached and this is our 10th Christmas, we're a little bit over nine years old and in nine years we think we've talked about money five or six times, ever. We never wanted to be the church that made everything about money and what we've realized is that by not talking about money, Jesus talked about money all the time and the reality is, is our finances are a huge part of what we're called to follow the Lord with and by not talking about it, we're scared that we're robbing you of the blessing that God would have for you by following him and being a generous person. So we're committed to, to bringing this up more, to building a culture of generosity. So forgive us for not preaching enough about it, but we think that that's part of the problem. Um, here's another problem. It, it, it's a, um, just an inherent challenge at a big church to, to fight the temptation that the next person will cover it. Right, there's so many people here, it can be easy to be like, well, um, I don't have to be responsible with what God's called me to do because someone else will step up and do that. And whether that's serving or or giving, it's easy to think. There's so many people. It's fine. I don't need to to be a part of it. Um, And then ultimately, I'm fearful that it's a heart issue that's become a cultural thing in our church. And I say this because I desperately do not want us to lose the obvious blessing that God has given us as we've been a generous church. So here's the thing. If I got statistics from Leadership Network and I saw that compared to national average, only 68% of our marriages were healthy, I would be like, all right, this is an issue. We've got to do something about it. And we would press into that issue intentionally. We would do a marriage weekend. We would preach a series on marriage. We would have a marriage conference. We would do a catalytic event to help press into this issue where we need to grow, So when it comes to being generous with the Lord, what the statistics are showing is this is an area that we need to grow in as a church. So here's what we're going to do. And if you have your notes, you should have received a card with it that looks like this. And on the top of it, it just says generosity challenge. And here's what we're doing as a church, as a way to press into the issue of us growing and following the Lord with our treasures. Um, In 2020, the first quarter, January through March, we are rolling out what we call a generosity challenge. And here's all that we're asking you to do. We're asking you to sit down as a family or as a couple and decide what does it look like for you to be generous with the Lord in what he's given you? That's it. I'm not looking for a specific percentage number on the card. It asks you to fill out a percentage of your income. And the reason we ask that is because I think that takes the most thought. And that's how it really kind of sets the tone for your family. And it becomes a giving first thing. But I'm not concerned about a dollar amount. And I'm not concerned about a, a percentage number. The New Testament says we're to give bountifully and with a joyful spirit. So what can you as a family commit to being generous with the Lord? For some of you, um, you're already doing that, and I'm not asking you to do anything more. There's some of you that you've built your whole life by giving 10% to the Lord, and so what I want you to do is put 10% on that card and celebrate in how the Lord has provided for you and and done that. Um, I'm not asking for more for those that are giving generously, but I think it's always a good exercise to at the end of the year be like, all right, how are we ordering our finances in a way that honors the Lord? For some of you, giving has always been an afterthought and not consistent, sporadic at best, and this is a great opportunity to order your life in a way that's biblical and that would honor God, and it's a good exercise to think through, all right, what does it look like for us to be generous? And listen, for some of you, this is the first time you've ever truly trusted the Lord with your life, again, because it doesn't get more real than your money. And so for you, if this is something you're new at, for you, like 4% might be super generous. But the idea is, is that we would commit to the Lord that we wanna be generous first with him. And then here's what we're doing. We're asking you to take a bold move. And there's all the information with what you do on the cards are on the back. And you can also fill this out online and it's way easier. But we're asking you to make a bold step. And here's what I want you to know. We're gonna make a bold step with you. And on this card, basically what it says is, listen, God has called us to test him in this area. And if you take the challenge, and if after three months you can say that God has not upheld his end of the bargain, and he hasn't taken care of you, he hasn't provided, and you have received no blessing from the Lord, you're welcome to come talk to us, and we'll return your money. We are so confident that God is a God who keeps his promises that we'll take this bold step with you. And I was talking to someone after the Saturday night service, and he was like, wow, Cal, you're either really bold or really stupid. And I said, we'll find out, Right? But no, we're confident that God is a God who keeps his promise, so we're taking this bold step with you. And I want you to hear my heart in this. I'm excited about this challenge. I'm excited about this season in our church, and here's why. And listen, I get that talking about money is awkward and it's sensitive. Like, no one's more keenly aware of how sensitive it is to talk about money than the guy standing up here talking about it right now. I promise you. Some of you guys, you read this card right when you got in. You knew where I was going. You've been giving me the stink eye all morning. I see you, right? (laughs) And listen, I might get some more angry emails this week than I do on a normal week, and I want you to hear I'm cool with it. Here's why. Because at the end of the day, I'm not asking for your money. I'm asking for you to follow Jesus. That's what this is about. Our church, we're healthy financially. We have confidence that if no one steps up and is more generous with the Lord, that we're gonna be provided for. This is about, are we going to reflect the generosity that God has so lavishly shown to us? Are we going to be a people who follow God with all areas of our life. We talk about marriage here, we talk about sex here, we talk about families here, we talk about work here, and if we're gonna follow the Lord, we need to follow the Lord with everything, and the Bible says a lot about how we follow him with our treasure. And my heart is is that we would be known as a generous church, and our hope is, is if more comes in, that primarily that wouldn't be kept inside our doors, but that would be something that we could be generous with outside our doors. I want this church to be a reputation for being a church that plants churches and supports church plants and builds the kingdom of God through the generosity of his people. It's a bold step, but I'm excited to see what the Lord's gonna do. And my gut is, is in March, we're gonna have a big celebration service to see how God's blessed. And, and, And listen, the other reason we're doing this is I want you to experience the blessing of being a generous person. God promises that his blessing always outruns our generosity. Let's believe it, all right? All right, let's pray. Dear Father, God, I'm thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful for a church that's humble and-, and listens to your word. I'm thankful that no one threw anything at me um, this morning. And um, God, I'm just thankful for humble hearts. And um, this is an area where you're calling us to press in on. And God, um, we want to be generous with you. God, would you help? Flip our mindset, not to be from a mindset of an owner like everything's mine, but to understand that everything's yours. And you've provided and you've given and you've been generous and you call us to model your heart and your love back to you and to others. God, we want to be like Paul. We want to be like God in every season. We've learned to be content. We want to run the race as if we're winning to completion because we know that you always show up and you always provide and you promise to take care of us. God, we love you. We need you. We're so thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name we pray, amen.